Can we call it a sunny day? Well, who knows? We can call any day a sunny day. How about sunny ways? Do you have any sunny ways happening? Gerald Butts testified today. Gerald Butts, of course, right-hand guy to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau for a long, long time. These guys go back to university days. Can you imagine being in university? Think back right now. I want you to picture in your head. College or university or go back to high school, whatever it takes. I want you to picture somebody you hung out with, okay? Just do it. Picture somebody you hung out with. Got their picture in in mind? Now imagine the two of you running the country. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad for all of us here, north of the 49th parallel, that uh, that didn't happen for, for me. But I'm mostly happy for you that it didn't happen for me. Ah, would have been fun, though. Right? Well, that's what happened this time around. Now, let's kind of take stock of all of this. Gerald Butts testified today, and I guess the latest news in this that we'll throw out there is that there was a motion to have Jody Wilson-Raybould, former attorney general, come back and testify again. The liberals have quashed that. You have to use the quashed. There's no other word for it. They've quashed that. So that's not going to be happening, it looks like, which is too bad because that would it would really... Because today, in my mind, I thought Gerald Butts did a really good job. And we're going to lay out some of what he said. And I want to know whether this changes anything for you because this is one of the biggest stories in politics that we've seen in this country in a long, long time because it comes down to what the prime minister ran on and what we all want from government. What do we want? Transparency, right? So this was the government that was going to give it to us. And now, hey, why don't we have the former attorney general come back and talk about the cabinet shuffle and some other things, maybe some nice text messages that we heard Gerald Butts talk about, and we'll get to those in a minute. Why don't we have her come back and talk about that? No. Yeah, but it, doesn't that go against transparency? What? The, the What you're talking about. What do you mean? Being transparent, telling the people of this country everything. Moving right along. That's the kind of stuff that's going on. So be transparent. Now, Gerald Butts did seem transparent, and he's not even a part of this anymore. He's the former right-hand guy of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Remember, he left, and we'll hear a little bit about why that was. So he testifies today talking about the SNC-Lavalin situation, talking about former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould, talking about her testimony last week. She has been praised for the way that she has handled this situation. The word integrity was used by opposition members. That doesn't happen. You know, that's kind of like Brad Marchand complimenting Mitch Marner and hoping he gets $12 million. This does not happen. This This is not a thing. But it happened last week. And the Marchand and Marner thing is happening, too. But let's take you to a key statement from Gerald Butts, because here's what I'm interested in knowing. First off, who would that buddy of yours be who would run the country with you? Who, what, would, what would have happened to Canada if the two of you had gotten together and, oh, look, hey, running the country. Fantastic. What do you want to do? Who would that be? 
And you can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca if you would have the dynamic duo, the two of you running the country. But I mostly want to know, does this change anything for you? When we, if you haven't heard anything, if you weren't able to hear earlier today on the Craig Needle Show, uh, we carried this for you. Um, if you didn't hear that, I'll have some clips right now. But does this change anything? Because when you listen to Gerald Butts, you know, and, and I can be talked into anything. You want to talk me into a 30-mile hike? Yeah, you, you could probably convince me it's a good idea. But when I listened to this, I thought, yeah, you know what, that's plausible. But I also listened to Jody Wilson-Raybould, and I think, yeah, yeah, what she's saying makes some sense. Now, we heard a little bit more from Gerald Butts. He was able to get into not just the surface issues. He didn't have to disguise anything. He kind of went to the heart of some things. We didn't hear Jody Wilson-Raybould talk about text messages. We didn't hear Jody Wilson-Raybould talk about dinners. We didn't hear Jody Wilson-Raybould talk about motivation behind cabinet shuffles, things like that. That's what we heard from Gerald Butts. So let's begin with a key statement from Gerald Butts. The Prime Minister gave and maintained clear direction to the PMO and PCO on this file. That direction was to make sure the thousands of people whose jobs were, and it bears repeating, are at risk, were at the forefront of our minds at all times. If anything could be done to protect those innocent people, we were, to work, we were told to work with the professional public service to make sure that option would be given every due consideration. He told us to keep in mind at all times that the decision to direct the DPP rests with the Attorney General and the Attorney General alone. We implemented that direction faithfully and with integrity. I was personally involved in the file on only a few occasions, but it was principally my responsibility to ensure that the Prime Minister's direction was followed by PMO staff. I have no doubt that they did so to the highest standards. So it was and is the Attorney General's decision to make. It would, however, be Canadians' decision to live with. Specifically, the 9,000-plus people who could lose their jobs, as well as the many thousands more who work on the company's supply chain. The Prime Minister believed that this is a real and significant public policy challenge that deserves a robust and thoughtful response. At no time did the Prime Minister or anyone in the government direct or ask the Attorney General to negotiate a remediation agreement. The former, the former Attorney General confirmed that last week to this committee. So that is Gerald Butts, former right-hand guy to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Now, one of the things, uh, if you love the game of politics, because that's what it is, if you love the game of politics, you can pick out the statement that the opposition has gone after right away. Did you hear it? I was only personally involved on a few occasions. So when the deputy leader of the opposition, Lisa Raitt, spoke up, that's what she pointed to. He says he's he, has, he was only involved a few times. He wasn't all over this particular matter. He was doing other things. So if we look back, he's going to claim, no, nothing was done. This rested completely with the Attorney General. We solicited all kinds of information because we didn't want this to have an opportunity for people to say, wait a minute, you know, what about this? What about this? What about this? So a lot of people were solicited for information on this. And then... You know, this is this is where it all kind of blew up. So 
what do we take from all of this? Because he's saying something that sounds plausible. You have former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould saying something that sounds plausible. Are either one of them telling the truth? He basically said you can look and you can experience something and two people can have very different experiences at the same thing. So you can hear something happen or see something happening or be a part of something and then somebody else can be in that that same shadow as you and yet you're going to view it differently. You know, was, was there... Was there one of those unsung things, you know, a nudge, nudge, wink, wink? I don't know, because that's the kind of stuff that can be misinterpreted. You know, ah, you know, let's let's take care of this. And that means one thing to one person. It means something totally different to somebody else. Does this change anything? Because now we've heard kind of two sides. Do you have an appreciation for either side? Or does the truth lie somewhere in the middle? And I imagine, ultimately as is the case with all of these things, that's where the truth does lie. But now that you've heard things like, well, there were text messages between Gerald Butts and Jody Wilson-Raybould, and here they are, and they're very cordial, so if there was a real issue, why would they be this cordial? I don't know. She's nice. You're nice. Could it be anything else? Um... The cabinet shuffle thing was interesting. I'll just point that out, and then we'll go to the phones. 519-643-2222 on whether this changes anything, or can you help us understand who's telling the truth? I mean, we could break down the video, and we could look and see who's looking to the left the most times and say, well, that's that's a key. We could get a lying specialist, and maybe they... I don't think that's going to do it. But there's a very interesting part of the cabinet shuffle in all of this that, you know, it was almost the most human part of what he was talking about. You had Scott Bryson stepping down in Nova Scotia. And so what did they want to do? They wanted to make sure they had representation from the Maritimes or Nova Scotia or whatever it is. So they needed somebody from Nova Scotia so that you didn't have people saying, well, look what the government is doing. And hey, You can argue, no, no, it's the best person for the job. That's crap. It's never the best person for the job. There are always things that lean into this. And it's unfortunate, but that's the way humans work. So the government has to make sure that it's got all of its boxes checked. So you've got Scott Bryson stepping down, and that means that you've got a bit of a shuffle going on. You've got Jane Philpott involved. You've got Jody Wilson-Raybould, who is asked to move to indigenous, indigenous affairs. Uh, she apparently turned down the offer at first, and then the government says, you know, we still got to do it because we can't have ministers turning down offers. Otherwise, this is going to lead to the inmates running the asylum. Now, those are my words, not not Gerald Butt's words, but essentially that's what they would be concerned about. You can't have somebody saying, no, I'm not going into that portfolio, because then where does that leave you? So this ultimately wound up looking like a demotion, and Gerald Butts even addressed that, saying that Jane Philpott pointed that out. If, If you bump her to Indigenous Affairs, she's going to view it as a demotion. But away they went, and we've got then two sides. Here's why we did it. 
Here's what happened in the cabinet shuffle. That's why with that kind of stuff coming forward, you would want to hear the other side. And it was asked that Jody Wilson-Raybould be able to give that. And the liberals said, no. So that doesn't look good on them. That doesn't look good on them at all. Al says that when Gerald Butts said he believes that Raybould experienced her conversations in a different way, Prime Minister Justin's Trudeau, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's story about having a different recollection of events related to <laughs> the journalist's groping allegations came to mind. Uh, he, Al says, I guess the liberals never recall negative interactions. I like it. Okay. Email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. The phone lines are open. 519-643-2222. Is this something that changes anything? I felt that Gerald Butts gave a pretty human side to it, but it's one thing to be able to do that. It's another thing to be highlighting all of the proper details. Now, does he have anything to lose? Well, he's not in the position anymore, but he was involved in the position. He was involved in this. Even if he did admit that he was personally involved on only a few occasions. 519-643-2222. We'll take a break and we'll talk more about this in a moment. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. Also coming up on the show today, we have the ability to talk about bankruptcy and some of the crunches that people are feeling. We're going to focus in on that in a few different ways, as a matter of fact. We said it yesterday. If we couldn't talk about bankruptcy yesterday, we would do it today. That's exactly what we're going to do in about 20 minutes from now. We are also going to talk about dealing with homelessness. We had Smokey Thomas in town today and of Opsu, and we also have something happening in St. Thomas that is very interesting, a tiny house project, and we're going to talk with the mayor of St. Thomas about that because it's a tiny house project for the homeless. And then we're going to look at Stratford, which seems to go far outside the box on so many different things, and we're going to look at a garbage can decorating competition to embrace diversity. How does all of this go hand in hand? I have no idea, but we will find out before the end of London Live. If you have any thoughts on Gerald Butts, and if you have any thoughts on whether this changes anything, whether this somehow makes it go away, then phone lines are open now. 519-643-2222-1866-354-8255. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. More to come in a moment. This is Global News Radio, 980cfpl. We're talking about Gerald Butt's testimony today that gave one side of the story. We heard what was a restricted side of the story last week from former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould. Doesn't look like she's going to be recalled to testify to rebut what Gerald Butts has said. Does this change anything for you? 519-643-2222. Email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. If you heard Gerald Butts, is there anything that stands out to you? I thought there was a human element to it. And can you lie and still have a human element? Good people can. People are very good at it. I, I can't say he's not. I don't know the guy. I didn't hang out with him in university. Uh, Jason sent an email to Mike at 980cfpl.ca saying, All liberals are crooks. Get used to it. Okay, I guess, I guess that doesn't change things for him then. 519-643-2222. Tom, what do you think of this? Well, Mike, there's only one takeaway you can uh, you can you can get from Gerald's uh, testimony today, and, and she's a liar. 
she's nothing but a liar and that she's just out there lying. Because when you got a couple stand-up guys like Justin and Gerald <laughs> saying that she's lying, she's got to be lying. <laughs> not, only, not only is she a liar, but she's a female liar and a native liar. So, boy, you know, she's got a lot. She, she's just a liar, uh, you know, and... Uh, I guess I never, never, you know, all those sunny, sunny ways and sunny days and standing up for women and standing up for indigenous women, uh, you know, I guess that kind of went out the window today, didn't it? I guess it went out the window last week when Justin said she was a liar, but it sure went out today when Justin and his number one, number one friend there said, both of them say she's a liar. So this isn't a good luck for him. No, no, it is not. You can, know, and, can they recover from this? Oh, can they recover? No, I don't think so. No, I, I was listening to his testimony today, and it was it was horrible. The only thing I heard worse than this was the new attorney general being questioned on that by that reporter there. I don't know if you ever heard that. That was she just tore him apart. The, the new attorney general, that Justin, you know, I mean, this isn't a good look for those guys. They're, they're they won't recover. I mean, uh, you know, I, and I think just trying to set a record for saying ninety five hundred jobs over and over again. You know, how many times did he say that? We're just looking for the jobs. We, we just care about the jobs. And we're, you know, as good liberals, we just care about jobs. Well, you know something, Mike? How, how many jobs do they care about in Ontario, like with GM? How many jobs do they care about in Alberta? I mean, we're looking right now. Craig Needles asked this question yesterday on his show. What about jobs within our own town? What about jobs at General Dynamics? I mean, every single province and most cities have some sort of industry where we need to protect jobs. You're exactly right. They, that's something that they're trying to say, look at us. We're, we're being above and, and beyond. I did find that because you're right. That, that was mentioned quite a bit. I played a, a minute and 38 second clip. I think they mentioned or Gerald Butts mentioned the, the 9,500 jobs three times no it was just it was it was over and over it's just it's just the liberal talking points they're going to try to try to change the channel and any thinking person knows that they don't they don't care about jobs it was all about getting reelected in quebec because if they don't get reelected in quebec they don't get reelected um because they need quebec to win the next election so that's all it was about and justin not only will he you know not only will he call this this woman a liar but but now he's the number one cheerleader to this, to this company, this crooked company that is in the business of sending young girls up to some pervert's room, you know, for, for who, who, well, we kind of know what, but how can Justin be for women, and yet he's the number one cheerleader for a company that exploits women? So there's just so much wrong with this. It's, uh, you know, I think just, Justin's time is over. His, his sunny days, his sunny days thing is done. His brand is done. His ratings, his uh, approval rating with women is in the toilet. Uh, Donald Trump has higher approval ratings than Justin right now, and that, and I mean, uh, much higher. So, yeah, he, he's done, and it's about time. He wasn't. He, well, Mr. Harper was right. Justin wasn't ready. Tom, thanks for your thoughts today. You bet. Bye bye. Thanks. You take a look at. And you always have to look back, especially in political history. Maybe it's why you can study political science. You look back in political history and you see why things happened, you know, and so often when there is a change in government, there is something behind it. You know, why were the conservatives voted out federally? You could point to any number of reasons, but remember, Justin Trudeau was way back when, what was it, the 78-day campaign began? But people were tired of the fact that the conservatives weren't saying anything. Everything was guarded. There was no transparency. 
And people were feeling kind of negative about it. You needed a change. And so why did Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the Liberals get in? Well, they ran on the opposite of that. You can take a look at any number of things. There's a movie with Sandra Bullock in it. And it looks at an election in Bolivia. And it's based on a true story. And it's called Our Brand is Chaos or Our Brand Chaos. you got to look it up. And essentially it looks at how... You get someone elected, what you need to do to get someone elected. And you had somebody who people feared, and he had no human side. And all of a sudden, they were able to give him a human side, and he won. And then you know what he was? A tyrant, because he had no human side. They made it seem like he did. Justin Trudeau decided, hey, we're going to run on transparency. We're going to show that we're going to be different than the other guys. And when a government gets stale, that's all you want. And if you can show that, then you get into power. Good luck carrying out transparency. We heard it from the provincial liberals under Kathleen Wynne. No transparency. We have heard it from the federal liberals liberals under Justin Trudeau. Transparency. You can't play the game of politics and be transparent with the people. Doesn't happen. Let's take a break for news. Jacqueline LaBelle is next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Coming up in about five minutes, we are going to be talking about a rise in bankruptcies that was actually predicted. If you check out something by Erica Alini, who is a national online journalist in money and consumer affairs with Global News, she had a story back on November 15th. I'll tweet it out. And it talked about this coming. Rise in bankruptcies. Difficulty with money. Right now, man, I taught a class at Fanshawe this morning. I looked around the room and I said, how are you guys going to be able to buy a house? Because we had those new numbers saying average in London for the first time ever, $400,000. 5% down. It's twenty grand. How do you save up twenty grand? And they all looked and said, student debt comes first. 519-643-2222. Before we close out, Gerald Butts and Justin Trudeau and Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott, let's get some thoughts from Bob. Bob, your thoughts on this. Well, is your next topic going to discuss moral bankruptcy in Parliament Hill, too? <laughs> no moral bankruptcy. No moral bankruptcy. <laughs> well, you know, i got to tell you, it's like uh, watching some of this stuff going on. You know, it's like almost like a, a mirror image of the uh, radical liberals, Democrats in the States. Uh, you know, like, I think <clears throat> nothing shocks me anymore. But I don't know about you, Mike, but, you know, I'm 59 years old, right? So I've been watching this stuff go on my lifetime so far. And uh, long, a long time ago, I come to the conclusion that, uh, you know, career politicians, uh, very few of them that I trust at all. So as it always turns out, we're going to watch this circus go on probably for another eight months. And then maybe at that time, eight months to a year, you're going to find out perhaps what really happened. Uh, and we're going to go through this process and spend a bunch of taxpayers' money, and uh, we're all going to be frustrated. I don't know why we're shocked, though. Like some people, uh, you know, we're talking to them about this, what's going on here. It's like, oh, my God, you know, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like, they, what, did you just land on the planet yesterday? <laughs> this is something that just is it's just... It's like a plague in politics, right? And we're, I don't know how we're going to get rid of it, if we're ever. Uh, now, there's one thing that happened, obviously, in the United States, where an outsider came in. Uh, 
but they don't like that, and they'll try to chew you up and spit you out. So I think maybe the only thing, uh, like I had said many times before, if Kevin O'Leary would have thrown his hat in the ring and stayed there, I know he threw his hat in the ring, but he kind of opted out at the last minute there, I would have voted for that guy. And it would have been the first time I voted, honestly, for PM in 25 years, or maybe 20 or something like that. Uh, because I think you need somebody on the outside coming in and shaking a place up, especially now in the current times that we're in, to just set these people straight and remind them of what your job is. Your job is to serve the people of this country as it was founded, not your not your best interests and your and your side deals. And, and all that's that the hardest juggling act that I think everybody yeah. comes to realize once they get into office. Yeah, and you know, they can be bought very easy. Here's the way it works, as we all know. You get in, and I understand young people like this Cortez person, oh, she's a different story, but in the States. They come in, and, and, and they're young, and they've got all these great ideas, and I don't, you know, hey, look, I, I promote that 100% if they make sense. But the reality of the situation in politics, once you get in, if you don't play the game the way they want you to play it, you're on the outside and you're a backbencher, you're just kicked out. Now, I, my wife had a nephew who uh, was deep in the politics, and I mean really deep, um, brilliant mind, young kid, like uh, when he was in a bright mind, and he, and he was brought up properly. And um, he actually stayed in it for a while. He ran in Spadina uh, for a seat in Toronto there, and uh, he was working at a high level with some high-level officials, and he just packed it in one day. And I remember talking to him about it, and he and he specifically said, I'm not built that way. I can't do that. I can't go against what my conscience is telling me, what the, you know, the truth that I need to follow. So that, you know, opened up my eyes even more to, yeah, it's, it's true. That's what goes on. So we gotta, we got to go in there and crack this, uh, like, well, like they say in the, the swamp, right, in the States, we're referring to it as a swamp, and that's what it is here in Canada, too, and maybe a lot of other countries. you got to get in there, and you got to start dismantling this that's been set up, because it's been a long time, in my mind, anyways, since governments actually worked for the people with their taxpayers' money. Yeah, and I don't, you know, if there was someone who was going to do it, it was the guy who ran on it, and he doesn't seem to have been able to do it. Bob, got to move on. Thanks for the call. All right, take care, Mike. Take care. We'll take a break. Up next, we are going to talk about something that was predicted in 2018, that we would see bankruptcies climb. Yesterday, Equifax Canada came out with some pretty staggering stats to the tune of how much bankruptcies have been climbing and how much of a financial crunch does exist. we got a great email from Brad that I'll share with you again, and then we're going to delve into that topic. Coming up as well, we're going to look at outright homelessness and a project starting in St. Thomas. This will be in our next hour that is going to aim to assist the fight against homelessness. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Yesterday, right at this time on London Live, we were talking about some Equifax Canada numbers. And Equifax Canada had looked at the number of consumer delinquencies in the fourth quarter of 2018. We're getting all businessy here. But what they found was that on a 90-day mortgage rate, uh, we saw a rise in delinquencies by 1.5%. So in other words, up. Uh, total Canadian consumer debt, including mortgages, increased to nearly $1.91 trillion in the fourth quarter, and that was up. 
The average non-mortgage debt for consumers, $23,520 up. And bankruptcies were not only up, they were up 15%. Now, if you go to my Twitter feed, at Stubbs980, I have tweeted a link to a story that was written by Erica Alini, national online journalist with Global News, and it was written back in November, and it was about a prediction that this would take place. So... Now that it is taking place, why don't we get a little bit more information on what all of this means and really what a bankruptcy means? Because I don't know whether we always fully understand what declaring bankruptcy is all about. Kevin Cattell is from Paul J. Pickering and Associates here in London and has been nice enough to join us. Kevin, how are things? Pretty good. Thanks uh, Thanks for having me there, Mike. Well, thanks for being here. I guess, first off, when you see details like bankruptcies are up 15% in the last half of 2018, given that you're dealing with things like this all the time, how do you interpret that? Absolutely. So, uh, in general, people are always going to be facing financial difficulties because uh, life happens, right? So whether it's a job loss or a health issue or separation, those things are always going to happen. But if, if, if insolvency rates are rising, I try to look at the other reasons. So like countrywide, we've got Bank of Canada rising interest rates. So your biggest problem, uh, in my opinion, is that people are carrying more debt than they ever have before. So servicing that is, is a lot harder. Uh, most people have variable rate loans. So uh, that component makes it makes it that much harder uh, when rates are rising. So it's naturally going to be tougher to service that debt, right? So, uh, and there's also always government policy or changes too, like lending restrictions, uh, making it tougher to access new credit or refinancing. So we kind of saw this recently uh, last year with the with the mortgage change. Uh, mortgage changes, just putting a strain on people. So you're seeing them carry more unsecured debt. Uh, and that's kind of a national perspective. Geographically, try to look at if there's any plant closures or, or big retailers or, or any type of downsizing that might be happening that, that might create that spike as well. Okay. Well, that gives us a, a good groundwork for a lot of this stuff. So do we need to take into account you know, what bankruptcy is all about and, and maybe the idea that that even in itself is likely changing? We hear about it a lot. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully the stigma is changing because there shouldn't be one. So, I think talking about it, uh, you hear us uh, uh, advertising, and, and, and there's a lot more websites and education around education and bankruptcy in particular. So, uh, when you hear about it from a friend or an accountant or a lawyer, uh, you understand that bankruptcy or insolvency in general, it's not a negative thing. Like these are legislative options uh, to help out honest and unfortunate people get back on their feet and get that fresh start. So, um, it's easy to get in trouble. Uh, with debt and become insolvent. So there should be a way to resolve those issues. And thankfully, proposals and bankruptcies in particular exist for people. Uh, and I think that unwarranted stigma is starting to decrease. So I think it's more commonplace that people will share some of their experiences and kind of reduce that that stigma or that hesitation to kind of look for help. We're talking with Kevin Cattell from Paul J. Pickering and Associates. And we're looking back at an announcement by Equifax Canada that dealt with a lot of things, dealt with Average non-mortgage debt, that being up, it sits at about $23,520 and a lot of that. 
kind of hinges on what the interest rate is at. And as Kevin suggested, you've got people who are carrying a lot more debt with them because we've been living in some glory years, haven't we? We've had low interest rates. You want to borrow money? Come on, here you go. That kind of thing. And now we are seeing interest rates creep up. I mean, all you have to do is look at since June 2017, they've gone from 0.5% up to 1.5%. And we are expecting more hikes to come. And so this is something that we may be dealing with. And bankruptcies, as we pointed out, are up 15% in the last half of 2018. Kevin, maybe while we have you on the phone, we could ask a few questions about bankruptcy to maybe understand it better. You say, and you're exactly right, there shouldn't be a stigma about this. When you look at declaring bankruptcy, how does someone know when it's time to even look into that as an option? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's lots of indicators. Uh, usually people try to fix these things on their own or, or think they can kind of dig themselves out of the hole, but sometimes they just need to sit down with a professional. But uh, usually if you've suffered a job loss or health issues or recently separated, you're going to have a, a major impact on your income. Uh, and usually all of your expenses are going to maintain uh, throughout a monthly basis. So um, if you start to miss payments or you're getting collection calls or, or you're, you're forced to use payday loans or some other high interest debt, usually those would be great indicators to say, shoot, uh, I, I think I need to get some help there. Uh, even if people are just struggling paycheck to paycheck, it's usually a good reason to, to reach out to a trustee to say, hey, uh, what is bankruptcy or, or what are all of my options? What's right for me? Uh, and then kind of go from there. Now, what does happen from there if you decide, you know what, this is an option that we want to take advantage of? So you, you you definitely want to seek out the help of a licensed insolvency trustee. So so we're the individuals who are licensed by the federal government to administer bankruptcies and proposals in Canada. So you would have your initial consultation. That doesn't cost you anything. It's a free consultation. And you discuss your situation and we review your options and, and determine what makes the most sense for that uh, particular individual. And then uh, from there, if it was appropriate to do so, you could, you could make that assignment into bankruptcy and, and you start that process there. Now, when you do go into that process, and I think maybe this will help out with that stigma that exists, Um, most of us wouldn't know what it meant. What restrictions do you have? I mean, do do you have to give up your house? Do you have to give up your car? Yeah, Mike, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, And, and, uh, that misinformation, uh, there is not a lot of restrictions, uh, so to say, but there are a lot of exemptions. So a lot of people think that they lose everything, uh, but there's a lot of exemptions uh, either federally or provincially or by the court. So so clothing and, and tools of the trade to earn your income or a vehicle, uh, like 6,600 worth of equity and furniture and household goods, those are all generally things that are protected that most people think they lose, but they're actually exempt from seizure, so no one can touch them in a bankruptcy. So, so most people are fearful of losing these common items, but uh, but it's actually not true. It scares a lot of people, but uh, but it's not true. Kevin Cattell with us from Paul J. Pickering and Associates. We're talking about Equifax Canada and their data that says bankruptcies are up 15% in the last half of 2018. And so it gives us a chance to explore just what does happen. So could you spend money if you are in bankruptcy protection, even, you know, even though you're, you're in bankruptcy protection, do you have to check with someone? 
No, like generally speaking, the the process. There's no issues with with spending money, and and on a day to day process, I don't think most people really notice a difference. Uh, there is an income monitoring component while you're in bankruptcy protection and going through that process, but but where you spend your money, it's it's not this invasive uh, or judgmental uh, process that many people think it is. It, it's more about disclosure. Uh, this is what's happening in my life. This is what, as far as the income and expenses, this is what's coming in. This is what's going out. Here's what I can afford to pay back my creditors, if anything at all. Uh, so, so it's not it's not quite the invasive process that most people think it is. Okay, and I guess finally, as far as how long that might stay on a credit assessment or any long-lasting things, what do you have going forward in the future if you decide to do it? Yeah, so for for most people, so on your I'll speak to your credit report or uh, uh, credit bureau report. Uh, six years it would last on your on your credit report after your discharge, after your first time if it's your first time bankruptcy, and it would be fourteen years if it was your second bankruptcy. Um, and as far as long lasting restrictions or anything like that, uh, there aren't really any restrictions, so to say. So once you receive your discharge, so you complete your process there aren't really any restrictions. So sometimes people worry about the effect on their credit reports. Uh, but if you if you compare apples to apples and you think about it, that if you're struggling now or if you're insolvent now uh, and your credit's already poor or it's heading that way and you can't meet your obligations as they become due, why not look to see what options are available even though they may hurt that credit? You, you might be doing yourself a disservice by, by trying to stay away just because you're trying to figure this out on your own. You may be causing yourself more uh, more harm down the road. All right. Well, hey, Kevin, we really appreciate you talking to us about this and kind of clearing up some of those misconceptions. Because when you look, if we're up 15% in the last half of 2018, if we have rising interest rates, we have Canadians carrying more debt, you know, unfortunately for some people, that, that might end up being the option. Thanks so much for the time. Absolutely, Mike. Thank you very much for having me. That's Kevin Cattell from Paul J. Pickering and Associates. It is a difficult situation. I mean, and it's something that, that you hear. It's something that you have to be concerned about. And I, I'm curious going forward how our next generation is going to deal with things. Because as we've talked about before, the value of money. They don't hold money in their hands. They don't put money in a piggy bank. You know, you might have a piggy bank for a while as a kid, but eventually you don't need that piggy bank. As soon as you open a bank account and every kid is encouraged to do that right around the age of 13. You're allowed to open your own bank account. It's a pretty good idea to do it. And then you can talk about savings, and banks are really good. They give you statements, and and it kind of gets you into that, that fiscal mindset. But at the same time, you're not holding it in your hand. And the push, you know, I, we'll have to talk about this after 2 o'clock because it kind of rolls into a lot of other things that we're going to get to today. But... I want to talk about Instagram for a second and something that was mentioned just recently, but it deals with how will that next generation that has credit available to them doesn't really appreciate the value of money. How will they deal with it? I want them to run the world. Maybe I should make sure that they've got some uh, financial planning classes before they, they get the reins of the world, right? Or maybe we'll wind up having... Justin Trudeau and his good college buddy, Gerald Butts, you know, goofing around in college and then, hey, look, we're running the country. (laughs) How's that going? Uh, One of them's not even a part of it anymore. The other one seems to be hanging in there. We'll see uh, what happens next. We'll break for news.
Next up, we'll tell you what is coming up in Hour 2 of London Live. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We're going to look at young people. And by young people, where do I draw the line here? Can I say under 40? Can you be, can you be young and under 40? Is 40 a cutoff? That's when the jokes start about 40, all downhill from here. And all those birthday cards that you get, I threw those out. But we're going to talk about a number of different things. One being getting into a home. We just finished a segment on bankruptcy, but getting into a home, buying a home. And we're going to branch that into something that is happening in St. Thomas to deal with homelessness. The mayor of St. Thomas, Joe Preston, due to join us on London Live. And then before the show ends, decorating garbage cans to embrace diversity. Huh? What? It's happening in Stratford. I love Stratford. There's always something going on there, something wild. Well, this seems to be the latest thing. We'll get to the bottom of it. This is London Live and Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. I'd love some of the statements coming out in the sports world right now from Kyrie Irving saying that the plane ride from Boston to Oakland helped out the team. You know, there's a lot to be said for it. If you have a disagreement, find a way to get in a room with somebody face-to-face and hash that thing out. We always hear it during negotiations. Well, why don't they just lock them in a room? Tell them they can't come out until they have a deal. Ultimately, that's what happens. You get to the 11th hour, and they sit down, and they work it out. Very rarely do, and I, you know, I don't have the stats on it, but very rarely do you think, see things messy enough that we get to strike situations. It can happen. But lock them in a room, make them figure it out. That seems to be what has happened. What we want to look at right now is a couple of different things. I mentioned Instagram and the evil that Instagram can be. I'm not a big fan. I'm really not. And somebody suggested something to me that made a lot of sense. They said, I used to think I was missing out if I didn't go out with my friends or I didn't do a certain thing because I would look on Instagram and I would look at them and they were having such a good time and I wasn't there for whatever reason. And then I was with those friends and we weren't really having a good time and they were taking pictures that made it look like we were having a good time. That's the evil of Instagram. Look at my life. It's fantastic. Uh, no, it's, it's pretty much like everybody else's. You're just making it seem like it's better. Unless you're a lottery winner or you're backpacking through some kind of terrain. Yeah, no, no, just remember. No, I'm not saying don't post on Instagram, erase your Instagram. No, no, you can do what you want. Just remember, everybody's life is pretty much the same. And if they're making it look good, it's because they're making it look good. It's no different. Just remember that. So I wonder where young people are going because the push that comes from having to live up to all of that stuff can be expensive. And as much as I like the mindset of people who are young, under the age of 40, running the world, I wonder how they will be able to look after their own finances going forward because of that push. The live up or keep up with the Jones factor, I don't think has ever been greater because of the fact that 
It's there in front of you. It's advertised to you. Never before have your friends and acquaintances and people who you just kind of know, never before have they been able to advertise themselves to you. But they can advertise right now. Look what we're doing. Hey, we should be doing something, shouldn't we? They seem to be going away. Everybody's going away. We're the only ones not going away. Hey, she bought a new jacket. She bought a new jacket. Uh, why am I not buying a new jacket? All that, sorts of, all that sort of stuff is right there. So that'll be, I don't know whether it'll be frightening. I hope it's not frightening, but it'll be interesting to watch. The other thing that young people have to deal with, and I can remember the last time we had the London St. Thomas Association of Realtors, LSTAR, send out a report that detailed the average house price in London and in St. Thomas. And I looked at it, and I looked at it as a positive. Like, wow, we're finally seeing the London area come up to where other cities have been. You know, we saw such a boom years ago in Kitchener and Guelph, and you look at Burlington and Oakville. Look out, Oakville. Uh, We saw big booms there. Then we saw Woodstock, and it was like, well... What about this part of the world? You know, this is a good place to live. And that's kind of how my mindset went. And then I got a call. And that call said, well, what about the people who aren't in a house right now? What about the people who are trying to get into the market? They're not exactly tap dancing at the price that you see. And right now, the average sale price has gone up 13.5%. In London, according to a release from the London St. Thomas Association of Realtors. So we're at 405186 bucks in London. That's the average price for a house. And if you think 5% down, which is kind of minimum, that's 20 grand. Hey, you got $20,000? Uh, no. So where does this end up? I mean, the rise is here. It's it's kind of coming to where other cities have been. You know, you can't compare Toronto and Vancouver and some of the other big spots. But it is climbing up. We've seen a lot of people retire in Toronto and sell their house for somewhere around a million bucks. And then you move here for the average price of 405000 Buy a nice one at five or six and you still have four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000 left over. Maybe that income gets passed down to kids, but I think that's a very rare instance. I don't think that that kind of comprises a great bulk of the population. So instead, you've got people who are managing debt. We've seen interest rates rise. We know that student debt is an issue. And now we see rising house prices that are starting to get out of range. Because even if you were to grab... $20,000 from somewhere, and you were to be able to put it down in a house, then you still have to get a lending institution to say, yeah, $380,000 mortgage? Yeah, no problem. And what would it cost for a $380,000 mortgage? I'm willing to bet that's over two grand a month. So that's what you're looking to put out in order to pay for something like that. That's, That's the average. There's below, but that's the average. And it has gone up. So that becomes a big concern. And it leads us to legitimate housing concerns. If we ever see the real estate market drop, and it dips, but it never drops, 
We've not seen things say, well, you know, what what went up comes back down. You know that house that was sold for 27600 in 1978? Yeah, that's now worth 29600 No, it's not. And there's no suggesting that it ever will be again. Now, granted, salaries are higher than they were then. Food prices are a lot. Everything's gone up. Inflation takes care of that. But to be able to say, hey, this... This is a place where we can stay? This is a place where we can settle? And this be the price? I don't know. I don't get it. I don't know where the money comes from. I watch big houses being built in North London, and I keep thinking, who's living there? Who's in those houses? Those are massive, massive homes. Take a drive along Sunningdale. Lots of construction. Who is living in those massive homes? I don't know, because I imagine those are going for more than $400,000. And then you get to the other end of things. People who not only can't afford to buy a home, people who can't find a home. And we did have Smokey Thomas from OPSU, president of OPSU, in London today at the London Public Library talking about a number of different social issues, one of them being homelessness. And you're always looking for solutions. Well, in St. Thomas, they're aiming for a solution or at least something that may help out. And in a moment... We're going to find out more about what that is. The mayor of St. Thomas, Joe Preston, will join us on London Live. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Homelessness is an issue that fortunately is getting a lot of coverage, is a focus of a lot of discussion, and that's good. And you're always looking in that coverage and in those discussions for solutions. That's the hard part in all of this, because it's a very real issue in just about any city. Find me a city that does not have homelessness as an issue. I don't think you can, unless it's a very, very, very tiny city. But it's an issue. So what do we do for solutions? Well, they're looking at something in St. Thomas that I think we need to know more about. Joining us right now is the mayor of St. Thomas, Joe Preston. Mayor Preston, thank you so much. Well, it's great to be here, Mike. Let's talk about homelessness as an issue in St. Thomas. Since you have been elected mayor, is it something that comes up regularly, semi-regularly, just every once in a while? Where would you pinpoint it? Over the top. Housing is a crisis uh, in St. Thomas and in most communities in southern Ontario. It's not just homelessness. It's, it's, it's housing um, across the board. Uh, so we're looking at every possible solution we can come up with to help our citizens find a place to live. Um, if you're already homeless, if you are homeless, we're trying harder than ever to try and find a uh, shelter for you. But... We're also trying to find, you know, more. We have a zero vacancy rate in market rent apartments. Um, every every home that's built in St. Thomas is sold before uh, the construction starts. Um, it's a it's a vibrant market out there right now, but that affects the people at the other end, or the lower end, of affordability and homelessness, maybe even more. So a zero vacancy rate. That means everything that can be occupied is being occupied. It's, it, 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 it seems that way as we, uh, certainly from an affordable point of view, we continue to um, scour the city for what can we do and, and how can we build more and how can we um, come up with solutions quicker. 
And so some, one of the counselors the other night, uh, Linda Stevenson, mentioned, uh, let's not take tiny homes off the table. And we agree. Let's not take anything off the table. If we can find a place, even if it's temporary accommodation for people, it's important. Uh, St. Thomas has a men's shelter only in the wintertime. We don't have a shelter in the summer. Uh, women's shelter runs year-round. But they're at capacity. They're overloaded. And so we're looking for other ways we can offer um, at least some privacy, some um, uh, the ability to house yourself. Uh, we know that housing first is an important piece. If you have a place to live, it's not as hard to go out and find a job. It's not as hard to go out and feed yourself. And so we're looking at every opportunity there is to provide that. We are talking with St. Thomas Mayor Joe Preston. Mayor Preston, you mentioned Linda Stevenson and the suggestion the other night, tiny houses. Can you describe maybe what you're looking at in that way? Well, I'm looking, you know, I have spent a little time on websites over the last couple of months looking for all the housing solutions. And and because of that, a lot of people are sending me more, whether it's small modular homes or small or or yurts or or whatever else it might be. And many of these things work far better in warmer weather than than cold weather. But we've all watched the, the show Tiny Homes on TV, and they're fairly luxurious places to live. They're just small. I don't think we're truly talking about that. We're talking about um, almost emergency shelter, a place to be able to, to for people to have the dignity of having their own place um, and provided by the city from an affordability point of view. When you look at creating something like that, you mentioned the men's shelter in St. Thomas only operates for a part of the year. Is there a way to simply look and say, okay, well, we've we've got a location, we can make it happen, or is it a lot more complex than that? I'm thinking it's a lot more complex than that. Yeah, I mean, look, at sometimes we, we look for the easiest solution, and this is a, the tiny home one is another one that came out. And yes, easy to say, um, maybe a lot harder to do than it is to say. Uh, the shelter's thing, exactly the same, because, you know, there's operating funds for year-round, there's there's the volunteer help. There's the resources needed to run it. Um, uh, you know, you, you know, even the the shelter we have this year has, has run into a bit of a, a trash problem. They they generate more trash than two bags. Our current trash is two bag limit, and so we've had to come up with a way to to serve the church where the where the where the shelter is with the ability to be able to put out more bags. I mean, you know, some of these things you don't think about to actually get into doing it. In terms of, of taking over the mayor's chair, how many of those things do you encounter in a day? Every one of them. Uh, you know, it, it, it's an exciting job, and I'm having a great time with it. Um, my, my business background says, you know, multitasking is the way of, is the way of life. And so um, this moment is, is, is housing. The next moment is, is something else. And, and uh, some of it's, you know, ceremonial handshaking. But... Um, you know, making this the city of St. Thomas the best it can be in a recognized um, small city is is important to me. Uh, I say sometimes I'm the head cheerleader, uh, but sometimes I'm just the lubricant between ideas. Somebody comes with an idea, and then 14 people offer in, and let's try and put it together. So that's part of what we're working on here too. St. Thomas Mayor Joe Preston joining us on London Live as we talk about housing, homelessness, yes, affordable housing, yes. If we're to look at Maybe the the big challenges there. What would you put first in terms of finding the money, finding the space, finding the operators? What would come first? Well, 
first of all, the, the private sector is fantastic help in the housing side. We have some great builders who are building homes in St. Thomas, and, and the supply needs to increase, whether it's single-family homes, market-rent apartments, townhomes, um, affordable housing, uh, tiny homes, granny flats, renovating existing homes into two or three apartments from, from one, uh, renovating downtown buildings into more more residential. All of those are private sector ideas for the most part, and we need to sometimes as government get out of their way and let them do it, let business do what business does right. But other times we need a little bit of support. We need a little incentive from the, from the civic government side to say, here's what we really help uh, need help with. Can you help? And sometimes it's just putting the right people at the right table um, to make sure that we're all hearing everybody's ideas, including the people who may use those homes in the long run. That's, that's another piece that we need to, uh, um, make sure that we're getting the input from from all sides of this. How difficult is it to to get that perspective from people? Because a lot of times you've got people who don't want to admit that that's the situation they're in. No, of course not. But we've got lots of people who provide assistance, um, and a lot of people who, who who work in that not-for-profit structure who can put us in touch with people to talk about it. And many of us know people who have lived it sometime in their life, and it can at least offer the support, too. Look, the dignity of housing is, is, is incredibly important. Um, as I said earlier, without housing first, it's really hard to step out on anything on improving your life, whether it's job, employment, uh, uh, identification. I mean, we, we all need identification to get things done, but we can't do it without an address. So sometimes the the housing and homelessness issue is the absolute most paramount curse uh, problem in a in a community, and it's the one. Mayor Preston, we may have lost you, but I'll ask one more question. We're talking with St. Thomas Mayor Joe Preston. Uh, Mayor Preston, in terms of what comes next in this discussion, you've got a lot of ideas pouring in. What's next? Uh, it really is to continue to talk to our builders what, what is possible. Talk to the rest of the municipality. Do we have a place we could do this type of thing? But it's also to just continue moving forward on all of the housing ideas that are already on the table. Mayor Preston, thank you so much for the time. No problem. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Bye. That is St. Thomas Mayor Joe Preston. So when you're addressing whether it's homelessness or affordable housing, as he says, everything's on the table. Yeah, they're looking at tiny homes, but that's not the only thing that they are looking at. You've got to make sure that you keep in mind right now in in a place like St. Thomas in London, we'll have to check on vacancy rate in London because we did get the numbers in terms of of real estate and how things are sitting um, in just the amount of money that it costs to buy a home. But vacancy rate, yeah, that can be a difficult thing to deal with because if you've got an influx of individuals – then you do need a place for them to live. The more that are trying to move in, the fewer places there are. It's that old supply and demand that seems to run so many parts of our lives. So the vacancy rate in St. Thomas sitting right now, as Mayor Preston says, at zero for market value residences. So that's that's tough. You know, maybe there's, you know, the vacancy rate exists, but... It's it's some fancy-dancy place. That wouldn't count into that number. So when you take a look at, at the way things sit 
in London and St. Thomas. Let me just close out the average home price in both of those cities, according to the London St. Thomas Association of Realtors and the report that they've just come out with. In London, it's 405000 In St. Thomas, the average home price is 306000 and then you go to Strathroy, it's three sixty-five. The overall in the region is just under four hundred thousand. So we've seen some big time rises. Um Elgin County, where Mayor Joe Preston is, has seen the largest gain, up thirty-three percent, according to L Star from February twenty eighteen to February twenty nineteen. Pretty wild, but it creates issues. And then how do you deal with it? Well, everybody's still kind of in the the discussion process of this. And nobody, once again, has come up with that big, yes, here's the thing. Here's what we do. Here's where we get the money. Here's where we get the people. This is what makes it happen. That's not happening just yet. And I don't know if we get a eureka moment. I'd love for that to happen. I don't know if there's a eureka moment out there. We'll bring it to you if there is. Coming up, we are going to talk about what's happening in Stratford. In Stratford, there is all kinds of decorating going on. What is this? Is this the holidays in April? What, what, are they, what are you doing? Christmas in July? No, no, no. Not that kind of decorating. They're decorating garbage cans, which seems to make less sense. And then they're decorating garbage cans in an attempt to embrace diversity. What? I still don't, I can't put all of those words together and make it make sense in my head. So we're going to have to go to Stratford, which we will do, and we'll find out exactly why they are decorating garbage cans in the form of a competition to embrace diversity. Why the garbage cans? That's only one of the questions we'll ask. London Live continues after Jacqueline LaBelle and News. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We've been talking about things like rising debt, which leads to bankruptcy, which leads to cost of things, cost of homes. The fact that some people do not even have the luxury of trying for a home because they don't have one or they are in affordable housing or they're on a waiting list for affordable housing. And what St. Thomas has been trying to deal with, London's been doing a lot of things. In fact, at London Public Library today... There was a stop from OPSU President Smokey Thomas and a discussion that took place. And like we outlined, we're at a discussion stage and we've seen some pretty heavy duty discussions about the topic. Is there a Eureka Day coming? Don't know. But right now on London Live, we do get an opportunity to talk with OPSU President Smokey Thomas. Smokey, thanks so much for taking some time out for us. No, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Let's talk about the discussion today at the London Public Library. You dealt with a number of social things. How big a part of the conversation was homelessness? Uh, Well, probably the biggest part of the conversation was homelessness. Abe was there from the London uh, Homelessness Coalition. I truly admire the work that they're doing, that he's doing and his folks are doing. Uh, But boy, they sure got a monumental task on their hands. And uh, Tisha, one of my local presidents who works, uh, her agency works, uh, uh, supports people in the community. So we have uh, a lot of uh, similar interests because a lot of people that uh, end up homeless have been, you know, discharged from psychiatric hospitals, have, you know, addiction, mental health issues, sometimes both. Uh, I'd say, you know, uh, 
anti-poverty groups tell me most people are two paychecks away from defaulting the mortgage or not paying the rent. So it's, uh, you know, income inequality, homelessness, poverty is a huge problem in Ontario. And it's, uh, you know, it's the need addressing and it just keeps getting worse instead of better from where I'm sitting looking. Now, and that, that's the whole thing. I mean, we've started discussions. We've had reports come in. As far as suggestions go that, that could create solutions, there's a lot of great work being done, but solutions don't seem to be there. Why do you think that is? Well, I, I think the province owns a lot of this. You know, we've had 25 years of austerity, you know, social programs not receiving uh, any increase in base funding. Uh, agencies like, you know, Kane Mental Health Association, uh, you know, uh, not receiving any increase in base uh, funding. People are relying on food banks more and more and more. And my union's a major sponsor. They now call themselves Feed Ontario instead of, the you know, the food banks or their new name is Feed Ontario. So, as you know, poverty's on the rise, not shrinking. The Liberals talked for 15 years about a poverty reduction strategy. I, I said, actually said to the premier once, I wish you wouldn't strategize so much. You're making it worse, not better. And and I've seen nothing here from the Tories that they have any interest in addressing it at all. So the province has got their provincial budget coming up. So if Doug Ford is really for the people, he will say, you know what? We're going to put $500 million. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, and it is a lot of money. But in the grand scheme of things with the government, it's not all that much money. They'll spend that much money bailing out a company that don't need bailing out or giving out corporate welfare or tax cuts. So put some money into these agencies. Uh, let's let's start. And then real, real on-the-ground programs to start to address income inequality, start to address uh, homelessness, poverty. And and that takes a community effort everywhere. I applaud London. I, I'm, you know, I, my folks down here tell me that conversation is vibrant and everything else. But, you, you know, without money from the province, it's, you know, you can't raise enough money locally to address the issues. And it's not fair, uh, you know, to expect municipalities to pick up the tab and address every issue. So the province has a huge role to play here in funding and uh, funding some projects and services that will uh, offer relief to people and, and, and some hope, frankly. OPSU President Smokey Thomas with us on London Live. There was a discussion today at London Public Library focusing on social issues. As Smokey has pointed out, number one was basically homelessness or affordable housing. We've got a province that doesn't have a lot of money right now, and that ultimately comes to a, a big old bottom line. What do you make of the fact that there there's there's no real money to grab from, or do you even believe that? Well, Doug Ford, first thing he did was cancel the carbon tax. Now, it was really unpopular, but it was bringing money into the government, and people had generally accepted it. He gave uh, tax cuts to the wealthy. Uh, so he's given up somewhere around $9 billion a year in revenue, right? So then he said, well, I got this deficit I got to deal with. Well, sir, you just made your deficit a whole lot worse. So as I said, you know, I, I think with politicians, they always seem to have the money for the things they want to spend it on, right? So I guess the job of people like me and communities and other, you know, social action groups, uh, agencies, uh, is to try to convince these politicians that they want to spend money on on uh, services and programs that will address homelessness, uh, poverty, and, 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 and really... That open for business thing, that's nice, but, uh, you know, what are you really, what, what jobs are, you know, what, what climate can you uh, create to create decent jobs that people can actually afford to live on, right? It's one thing to have a job, but if you're still going to the food bank and still can't pay your rent because 
you know, you're only getting 10, 15, 20 hours a week. So it's a, you know, I think it's going to take a generation or two to, to address all these things. But, I, and again, I'm going to say to the Ford government, or you say this to the Liberals, you need to put the money into human beings and uh, not your, you know, canceling gas plants, not, you know, bail no companies only, not, well, frankly, not, you know, not fancy as you hear, you know, mortar homes for the premier to drive in, you know, all those sorts of things, right? He seems to hire all his friends. So he's got, anyway, he's got the money for the stuff he wants to have the money for. So I'm just doing my small part here to try to convince him maybe he should want to spend some money here and uh, help people out directly. Smokey Thomas, president of OPSU with us. Smokey, one final thing. If you look back at other topics that came up this morning in discussions, what do you point to that kind of piqued your interest? Elgin Middlesex Detention Center is still a nightmare. Uh, you know, the Tories made our folks that work in the corrections, they made them all kinds of promises when they're in opposition, all kinds of promises during the election campaign. And they have done absolutely nothing to address the crisis in corrections. So, you know, the people that work at Elgin Middlesex Detention Center, you know, my hat's off to them for having the courage and, the, you know, the, the wherewithal to go to work every day. Uh, to the inmates that are in there living in those conditions, you know what, they're not humane conditions. It's not the fault of my members, it's the fault of the government. And, you know, I uh, was at uh, Toronto South Detention Center Monday. They had a very serious assault on the... Uh, Eight of our officers uh, got hurt on Saturday evening, hurt, and some of them quite badly. And again, same issues there as uh, Elgin Middlesex. Although Elgin Middlesex really is is just still a crisis. So if the you know again to Doug Ford, you pro- you know your party promised to fix the crisis in correction, promised to address the management issues in these jails, promised to address overcrowding. And I know I'm not you know it, it takes time. But they've done nothing, nothing to even address that, except some fancy words and press releases like, you know, health and safety of our staff or utmost and all that. Well, then we put your efforts and put your money where your mouth is and start to fix the problems in that jail. Boy, you know what? If, if the Tories ever wanted to, you know, get some real street credibility, they'd do those two things. Take, you know, some serious efforts on addressing poverty, but also here in London, take some serious, make some serious efforts to fix up that Elgin Middlesex Detention Center. Well, you've got a lot of support behind that. What about you? Would you ever run yeah. in politics? Uh, no, I uh, <laughs> I kind of like my life the way it is. Um, I don't know that I'd... Uh, I'm not as young as I used to be. Politics would be about a 10-year project. I get offers uh, quite often to run, but uh, no, I have no... I don't think I have any interest in that. When I retire from the union, I think I'd like to enjoy life for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, Smoggy, it's always great talking uh, to you. Thanks so much for yeah. kind of recapping what took place today at the London yeah. Public Library. Enjoy the afternoon. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate your interest. I really do. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. OPSU President Smokey Thomas. He had some. He had some good political savvy there. So I had to ask that question at the end. Uh, there, there's a lot of truth to all of that. I mean, you know, again, it goes back to a theme that kicked off London Live today. Transparency in what the plan is. And I love Smokey Thomas's line of investing in human beings. You're not going to go wrong there. You're not going to go wrong investing in human beings. You know what investing in human beings doesn't get? It doesn't get you reelected. It doesn't get you money to run campaigns. 
because if you're going to throw money into a human being, they're in some cases not going to be able to give that much back or more. So, yeah, that's that's where our system breaks down. Maybe if we just had a cardboard ballot box and a few stacks of paper and we didn't have any campaigns and nobody was allowed to go around and fancy things and, you know, hold fancy dinners and all that stuff, maybe just maybe you might have a differing system. I'm not even going to call it a different system. You know, there's a reason that money winds up in the pockets of political parties because it has forever because people want to influence the way things are done. That's never going to change. It's the game of politics. But I like the investing in human beings. If a politician could say that and then accomplish that, well, they'd have my vote. Next up, garbage can decorating and embracing diversity. I don't even know what those words mean when you stick them together, but we're going to go to Stratford to find out. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. As we look to close out the show today, I always love heading to Stratford for so many different reasons. Just a great town. And they always seem to have a way of doing things that embraces whatever, whether it is autonomous vehicle testing, whether it's looking at ways to have people commute, whether it is decorating garbage cans in a competition to embrace diversity. Yeah, that's happening. Joining us right now is someone who can fill us in on exactly what this means. Mary Jane Thompson. Mary Jane, how are things? Things are awesome here. We love Stratford. It's nice to hear you talking about us that way. Well, hey, it's, it is a fantastic... Do you call it city or town? Because I always struggle with Strathroy, St. Thomas, city or town. We are a city. City. I will now call you a city from now on. And you're a city that has a lot of people decorating garbage cans. Is this something uh, that happens often? Well, uh, to tell you the truth, um, I happen to be the manager of Festival Marketplace Shopping Center, and uh, one of our citizens, and uh, Ted Blows and James Colbeck, brought a project to me many years ago to promote decorating garbage cans, and I said, of course we'll do it. And each year we have a different theme, and this is year number nine, believe it or not. So it's kind of been an exciting project for us, and each year we have a different theme, and this year it's Embracing Diversity. We have um, we've actually partnered with the city over the last number of years for the drums that you find decorating down around the lake, um, down by the theater. Okay. So when we talk about decorating garbage cans, I'm picturing the old steel version. Is it painting garbage cans? Is it doing anything you want to to garbage cans? Paint us a picture here, please. All right. It's um, pr- primarily for the drums. It's painting. Uh, it has to be done. We actually do prep work on them. We do a couple of coats of primer. Then they go out to the various community organizations and businesses to be painted. Then they come back for the judging in April. And then after they're completed, we actually prepare them with uh, another couple of seal coats before they go out to the city. As I said, this is a partnership between many organizations. It's the city of Stratford. It is Communities in Bloom, it's uh, the uh, Civic Beautification and Environment Awareness Committee, and we have um, our community center as well is involved. So we have 
all of these organizations that are part of it. And so over the years, we've actually added things like small containers. So we do an actual workshop for kids. Uh, We'll be doing it on March 11th this year. So we have a workshop at 1 p.m., and they need to register, but we have garbage cans donated by EasyWay, and they're small ones, so the kids get to decorate their containers and enter them into the competition at the same time. (laughs) We're talking with Mary Jane Thompson from Stratford as we talk about their garbage can decorating competition (laughs) to embrace diversity. The judging comes up in April, so give us an idea of what these look like when they come back. You know what? The artistry the last few years has been absolutely incredible. I think as the event has grown over the years and people realize that these cans are going to be on display to everyone that comes to the theater during the summer and everyone that lives here. So they actually go out into the community from April to October. And then at the end of the season, the the groups that um, have done them, they can actually have the drums for their own use after that with their painting on it. Okay. Now that works, and and then they keep it, and you mentioned this is a beautification project. Do you still see cans that were involved in previous years around the city? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, one of the original ones uh, was um, Ted Blows, and it now resides in the Stratford Perth Museum. Fantastic. So, you know, it's, it's something that the community has embraced. It's really fun. I mean, let's face it. It's pretty tough to make garbage look good, but, you know, in Stratford, we make garbage look good. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, Mary Jane, thank you for filling us in on how all of this works. Any suggestions as to how somebody is going to be able to decorate embracing diversity, or is that what you're, you're just looking forward to finding out? Well, we're looking forward to what people's um, impression or explanation of embracing diversity is. I mean, diversity can mean many things, so... You know, whatever it means to the specific organization or school that's doing the drum, that's what we're expecting back. If you want more information, it's really easy to find it. Just go to stratfordshopping.ca. Stratfordshopping.ca. Once again, you're, you're making it very easy for us. We really appreciate that. Well, it's great. Thanks for having us on. All right. Mary Jane, you have a great day. You too. Thanks. That is Mary Jane Thompson from the Festival Shopping Center in Stratford on the garbage can decorating competition to embrace diversity. Maybe I'm wrong to draw this line, but I know the Back to the River project is all about beautification and things. It would sound strange to say you can just decorate garbage cans and beautify your city. Let's face it, we threw metal trees all over the place in an attempt to, you know, beautify the city. Do you have to go five million bucks or could you do something like that? And hey, look, look, the town is decorated. It's garbage cans. huh? We don't have enough garbage receptacles anymore. I guess the ones that we wind up having are the ones that allow you to split up all the recycling. So it's, it's difficult to decorate those. But you see what I'm getting at. Five million bucks to spruce up an area that people would have to learn to go to or not five million bucks that would go somewhere else and we still wouldn't go to that area. Marilyn called in earlier this week and said, I'm not sure who it was, her son, or I think was walking along the, the river and saw a whole bunch of rats. I mean, maybe it's wrong to make that correlation, but 
Sometimes you got to look at where money's being spent, as Smokey Thomas had suggested. We'll take one final break on the show and be back with one last story. This is Global News Radio 980 CFBL. One last story for the day. Montgomery, Alabama. Four guys in a truck. They get out, they smash their way through the window of a convenience store. Store was closed. And the truck sits out in a parking lot, and these guys, three of them, are trying to get the ATM out of the store. They finally get it out of the store, but it takes so long that the truck driver grows impatient and leaves. So there's a video that shows the truck leaving. The three guys, they get the ATM onto a dolly, and they they do get it out. He's gone. They see that their getaway ride is gone. And they split. So Montgomery, Alabama police are looking for four individuals involved in this. They do have video. I looked it up. An ATM can contain 200000 Most have ten grand. What are these guys thinking? All right. We're out of time. Matt McInnes, thank you for your help today. London Live brought to you by courtesy Ford Lincoln at 680 Warncliffe Road South in London. News is next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL.